We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan Macker, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Coming at you on, is it February yet? No, it's not February yet. There are 30, 30 days, half September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31, and it is indeed January. So we are not, <laughs> did you like that? I know you guys like that. Thank you. Uh, Jeremy Cohen, hello, sir. How are you? Hey, John. This has been the longest month, I think, since March 2020. Just my own thought. I don't know why. Maybe it's a cold, at least for us who live in a cold climate. Maybe it's the fact that like there's another variant. Maybe it's just the Knicks not being great. But this month has been so long and it's almost uh, over, but it's still ridiculous. It's been a long month. Uh, as I've, I think I've said a couple of times on the podcast, we, we go away to Florida. Um, essentially, I guess it centered around all-star break conveniently enough. So like for, you know, when schools get out. So like for us, from New Year's until that trip, it's like eight weeks of like, let's just get through these eight weeks. Um, so yes, I agree with you. It has been a bit of a trudge to get through January, especially the fact that uh, the Knicks have not, uh, let's say, held up their end of the bargain to keep things. Uh, well, I, I, I shouldn't say that. They, they have kept things interesting. They have not necessarily kept things entertaining. Um, I'm not sure. So that's a good good segue to our first, our first how we're going to kick things off this week. Brainchild of Andrew Claudio. Shout out to Andrew. Describe the last week of Knicks basketball in one word. I was thinking about this because I looked at this question for a few minutes before we started. I'm like, this is actually really tough because there's a lot of words I want to use to boil it down to just one word. I think is hard. Do you have a word? Oh, 100 percent. You have a word. I do. Then take 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 it away. (laughs) The word I would use to describe the last week of Knicks basketball is expected. It's expected. Like We sat here and we talked about the team and everything that's going on. And it feels like Groundhog Day in so many aspects, right? Like I said, I thought the Knicks would go one and two. And the only reason I picked one and two was because strategically, it made far more sense for me to say one and two on the chance that they win a game than saying oh and three. Right. And the same issues in and a lot worked, of ways way. that, yes, right. Yeah. But the, the same issues that occurred, they're still here. Like, they're not going away. We know that they're going to be consistent. It's the same exact thing. It's the same lineup. 
it's the same minutes distribution for the most part, other than the fact that the veterans maybe play more. Again, I'm not saying the younger players don't play it, but it's, I go into every game expecting something similar. And this week did nothing differently compared to the weeks that we've seen beforehand. So it is a hundred percent expected. That is the word that I would absolutely use. I'll, I'll go a little bit different and I'll say acceptance because I guess the difference between you and me and maybe you and other Nick fans is even as things, even things as bad as they were. And again, Proof is in the pudding because I, I have picked a, an O for week before the season. Haven't I not? You have. So I am not above picking an O for week. Even me sitting there last week with the chance to best you by picking O and three or going two and one, I went two and one. And that is because for as much as we did sit here a week ago and explained all the reasons why this season was essentially shot to shit and was not going to get any better. And this was going to be a very different end of the year than it was last year. And we'll get into all that. I still picked two and one. And why did I pick two and one? Because I thought maybe just maybe this team had something left in them that would surprise us. And that is why my word to describe this week was acceptance. And I know it's not a perfect it's acceptance is a noun and it doesn't describe the week because you need an adjective accepting. Is that better? Is that yeah, we, yeah sure. Accepting. I am accepting of this team's fate this year, uh, which is to, to not be a very good team and uh, a team that was uh, put together with high hopes. Um, and uh, they are, they are, it, I, I don't know if I would say the opposite of the high hopes has come true, but they are, it is not as, as was expected. I'd like to say. push back a little bit though, please. You say high hopes. I guess the the big thing for me is that I know that there are a lot of fans who had very lofty goals based off of what last season was. And I'm not saying, hey, this season is a is you know great and they did this. And that. believe me, this season has been a disappointment. I'm not excusing that whatsoever. But I cannot feel empathy. No, empathy is not the right word because I still feel mm. the same losses, but I, I can't help but feel like when I see people who picked these high numbers of wins, uh, being very upset because the team isn't meeting their goals. It just, it's like, cool. Well, have you considered the fact that while the team is disappointing, you set up in a, a bar that you pretty much I, knew they could not surpass. Well, I and you, were, you got caught that. into it, but listen, if you get caught up into it, I get it. That's fair. But there's a certain point where it's like, if you're thinking like, this is a high forties win team, it's like, okay, great. You can think that, I don't entirely know exactly where that kind of thought process comes from. I can see best case scenario type of thing. But again, we, we're talking about a team that was good, that overachieved last year. Yes. That was doing a great job. And then they made improvements. And we hope that would all come together. We hoped, you know, all of this. I, I understand why when things would click, why people would get there. But to think like, this is what this team's going to be. And it's like, well, again, look at the roster. Look at how many young players there are. Just all of these, like the Kemba, the Kemba thing was a very low risk, high reward. But we have to acknowledge that the risk itself, where if he's not playing well, if he's hurt, okay, you got Derrick Rose. Well, Derrick Rose hasn't yeah. played more than what? Like 50 some odd games a year in the last five years. It just, to me, it's the sort of thing where I'm not saying, I'm not absolving the front office 
of what they're doing or, or, or how or what this season did. has played out, right? Because again, they can pivot easily. It's up till now, it's been a failure, but you can completely so, win the season by yeah. flipping it on its head. It's so a matter of beforehand, the expectations that I feel were pretty lofty. Again, I'm using that word and no. just maybe they shouldn't have been. That's all. So here you're right. And you're also dead wrong. <laughs> you're right in this sense. And we've said it, you've said it many times and I've, I have agreed with you and I still agree with you now. This front office was smart in that they gave themselves outs, right? They gave themselves several outs in that, again, other than Fournier, um, everything was two years, right? All the, all the third years were, were non-guaranteed. Um, the Randall contract, even if you expected or um, anticipated possible shooting regression at that number, right? At that number, it's a number that you could be comfortable like, okay, we're going to find a taker for this deal. This is not some kind of like insane albatross contract of a guy that we're never going to be able to move. Um, and even Fournier, right? They went three guaranteed years on Fournier. They could move Fournier. Like, I, I got, we'll talk about it more on the trade deadline special. To be honest with like, but again, you know who the other than their big men and Quentin Grimes, who's only played 500 minutes, you know who their, their best guy by effective field goal percentages this year? Evan Fournier. So it's like, and he's been inconsistent and he's been maddening. And this, that, that's kind of, it's a bet. It's not a good Evan Fournier season, but it's, an, it's not completely out of the blue if you've watched this guy over the years. In that sense, you're right. The season has gone poorly. And now they could pivot. And whether the pivot includes trading Julius Randle, trading Fournier, trading all these guys, maybe getting a higher pick, maybe leaning into the young guys, having a go at it this summer. All of those things are on the table. So kudos to the front office for giving themselves that out. Great. Here's where you're dead wrong. In, I'm sorry. I have to be harsh sometimes. And Listen, I can't. Uh, no. Say you can dead, even the people who had the crazy 50 plus win numbers shouted out there had, uh, um, had tip to Yash. Um, I don't even want to know what Yash's number was. It, it, he, Andrew, maybe you could go dig up some old texts. No, it's 50. He thought they'd be 50 win team. He thought more than 50. Even those people I think would have acknowledged the, the possibility of some tough sledding. And the people who were more moderate in the mid, in the mid, even maybe to the low 40s would have figured, okay, shooting regression regression from Randall, certainly possible. Um, chemistry issues taking time, 10, 20, 30 games to figure it out. That's fine. Maybe some injuries, right? Uh, teams aren't likely to stay healthy. Okay, that's fine. Uh, maybe not all the kids take a step forward. Like what I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams could have anticipated was a what we've seen from from Randall and b the fact that we are now 50 games into this season and we are this team is no closer today to figuring out or knowing or understanding what their best approach is to winning basketball games than they did before game one. And those are two things that, again, I like 
that to me is that those are inescapable. And then the last thing I'll close, I'll close the loop and then I'll give it back to you because I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I think, and, and again, I don't, I don't, there is no part of me who, who expects expected the front office to anticipate this. Cause I certainly didn't. And I think about this shit a lot and I'm, you know, I know they're supposed to think about it more, but like, I blame the moves that were made because I think that Randall's turning into a pumpkin has occurred, at least in part, because he was told you need to play differently now to accommodate these these changes. And he has turned into what he's turned into and it has spiraled out of control. And the guys that he were brought in to help him, Kemba, Fournier, I mean, you know. What can you say about how the collective grouping has looked? And it has not meshed at all, not in, not even a little bit. And so that's to that to that specific point. I do think, again, in your even the most pessimistic Nick fan, I don't know that they could have could have expected that. Sure, I just I don't understand how that makes me dead wrong. Like you can talk about the fact that. Because you said it was, you said it was, this was expected. Nobody could a have a 500 type team. Yes. I, and I, and okay. So then maybe that's where, let me, let me well, be very clear about this. This okay. team is going to win at most 35 games. And I think that's high. Sure. And again, I, I, I would not have made the bet that I made about over 43 if I didn't think they could get to at least 43, right? Because then I feel, oh, it's a break even point. 43 and 39 is a great number. They have disappointed me too. Don't get me wrong. It's more the idea of like so much more where it then feels like this team is great. It's destined for things like, why do you think Kemba Walker was available? Why do you think Kemba Walker was available? Right. And and we're talking. I, okay. He was on a large contract. And if he were, if he were the max player that he or close to it, another team would have said, we want to take a flyer on that. Yeah. No one wanted it. But once, once he was bought out, I'm sure that there are other teams who would have loved to take a flyer on him and he wanted to come home and, and be the starting point guard for the Knicks. Sure. But that doesn't have anything to do with his ability per se. He was available because he was not available to teams that didn't want him. Like, I, there was ample opportunity for him to be playing elsewhere. Teams didn't want him. I, I understand that. But the, but again, you're, we're talking about, there's such a, there's such a, large gray area here where there's black and white and there's a whole lot of in between. And I'm saying we're not in the gray We're we're in the, I guess the, I don't know, whatever the, 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 the worst part is where again, Walker and Randall 50 games in negative chemistry, nothing, zero. And, and also Walker, you know, may not be great, but like, again, could we have, did you didn't anticipate that it would have this effect on Randall? No, but again, I'm not, I'm not, look, I'm not blaming fans for having high hopes, nor saying that the reason Knicks are doing poorly is anything to do with because fans had high hopes. That's not what I'm saying at all. I just want to be clear about that. Okay. So so be, yeah. So make it clear. (laughs) My point is that the comparison, right? Like if you think that they are going to be winning this many games, 50 games, 48, whatever number you want to throw out, I understand you are putting them on a level that is unfair to them. And it's unfair I, I completely to yourself. Agree. 
Right. That's all I'm saying. So the drop from 50 to say winning at best 35 games, that's really tough. But the drop from saying like, hey, they're a 41 win team, which is what Vegas said they would be to a 35 win team is that's still a disappointment. But the gap is a lot smaller. I understand what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so you are saying that the reasonable expectation for this team was somewhere in the 41 to 42, maybe 43 win range, which is what Vegas had them at. And which, again, we all heard it and we all got mad at it or some of us got mad on it. Uh, before the season, uh, when uh, Andrew, get your drink ready. When Zach Lowe was talking about teams, he was uh, executives. He was talking about what's the team that constantly came up as like, I don't know about this team. I don't think they're going to do it again. It was the Knicks. So, but even the, like, I, I, I get, here's the, the the last pushback I'll give, and then we can move on. Okay. But even those people who were skeptical that the Knicks were going to, you know, be essentially on par or maybe even a little worse record wise than they were last season. I don't think even those people could have expected that the situation. And again, it all comes back to Randall. I don't know how you, it really all does come back to Randall could have expected that it would deteriorate to the point of like, there's outright negativity surrounding. Now, is there negativity in the locker room? I think that's a different discussion by all accounts. uh, They were loosey goosey at practice. Uh, on, I'm trying to think when I was having, uh, at, at some point recently, um, before that was before the Milwaukee game, I was, uh, texting with one of the beat guys. Uh, they were, you know, still very like, you know, jovial, like seems like everybody is still getting along. So like maybe internally things are fine, but like outwardly looking in, you know, with all the clips of Julius Randall going, it's like. That could, I, I just didn't anticipate that. That's all. Yeah. Listen, I didn't anticipate Randall shooting his worst percentages since what was effectively his rookie year, which was his second year because his broke his, he broke his leg in the first game of his first year. Right. Like I, I'm with you a hundred percent, but it's that, not just the percentages. It's but percentages I know it's not just, plus it's the effort. Look, I, I'm simplifying it, right? It's an oversimplification yes. of everything that's going on, but my, and point I don't think is, Randall could be oversimplified. That's my, I, I'm sorry sure. to push back, but like, that's the only thing I want to make very clear. But again, I'm not, I'm not sitting here and saying like, Oh, you know, like, I, I completely foresaw the Knicks or Randall being the worst he's ever been that we've seen. That's not, that's, it was clearly a surprise to me as well. I'm not trying to act like I, I know everything. And then I saw, no, I, all I'm, of I'm, it. I know you're not saying it, but, and you're not, that, that's, I'm not accusing you of that. I, I just, I, I just continue. But part, part of you is saying no one saw this happening. And to an extent, I think you're right. But I think, I, think I am that saying that. Yes. <laughs> right. But <laughs> there's also the portion of people who thought, Maybe this could happen and then just put it out of their minds. Because like, why would Randall go back to that? We saw him be an all NBA player. How is he going to go back to someone who is so much worse or, or back to what we saw his first year in New York? There was a level of, of expected expectations. And I hear you I, completely. I, again, yeah. I did not think Randall would be anywhere near this danger zone area that he has been in that has tanked the team. And you know what? With the Knicks are what? 23 and 28 right now. Is that their record? 23 and 22. Seven, I believe. 23 and 27. They have a daunting schedule ahead, obviously, but it's a sort of thought process of, of course, if we thought he was a bit better, what is their record, right? It's probably closer to 500. Realistically speaking, we could talk yes. about injuries and how that's a concern. Every team deals with injuries, 100%. But I also can't help but wonder what this team looks like if Derrick Rose is healthy. I don't think it's a great team, but I think it's a, it's a team that is maybe closing games a bit better that has someone who is a little bit more established there. Um, 
you know, you're, you're maybe not seeing, well, you'll need someone to start, right? It'll be Kemba or I guess Burks in this case, but you have someone who you feel confident can close down the stretch at the point guard position. And, you know, we could talk about quickly. We're talking about some other guys who have yeah, carved out nice will. roles, but there was a main staple in Derek Rose. And he's yep. the second most important guy behind Julius Randle, who is clearly the most important player on the team. You can make an argument for RJ. Uh, I don't mean that as shade in any respect. It's more just because or aspect. It's, it's the fact that Derek Rose has been around the block a little bit more than RJ. He has some more hardware than RJ does. He's a smarter player because he has more experience, that type of thing. And if he's not there. The whole team suffers and the bottom falls out. And I think the one thing I'm kind of grateful for with this Knicks season is that based on the way it's going, based on the fact that the Knicks have not been winning games, it's not like you're half pregnant. There's no, you know, half measures here in the sense of like, if the, if the bottom falls out, then we know where it's going. Like, for example, if the Knicks were, were four games better, right. than they are right now. And then the bottom starts to fall out. It feels like, no, 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 they're, they're still a, a good enough team. They just need some reinforcements. Derek Rose comes back. That's sort of, no, mindset. I understand. I Instead, understand. It's look, they didn't take care of business against the teams that they really needed to take care of. And that's a problem. And that could haunt them, but there are enough other games that they will be losing where it's just another brick in the wall. So, so you're right in that, rumors have already started to come out and I believe those rumors that the Knicks are exploring moving their veterans and like that's important that's a very reassuring sign to me and I don't think either of us had any doubt that this front office was going to be realistic especially when Brock Aller is a part of it and we've already heard reporting about the push and pull between him and Tibbs and you know hopefully they're all on the same page moving forward Um, you know and the Randall stuff that his uh, according to Ian Bagley um, I want to make sure I get the wording right. At least one team that has been in touch with the Knicks uh, came away with the impression that Randall could be had for the right price. Um, I wrote this week that um, I, I'm not going to say the exact number, but there are there are teams uh, that that are trying to get Randall that have been in contact with the Knicks. Uh, I've heard of a couple specifically. I know you've heard of perhaps one or two. So like that. Th- conversations are, are, are having or happening. And that's, and that's good. That's healthy. That's what they should be thinking right now. Um, and all of that again is a positive. I just, I, I have to go back to Randall one last for one last thing, because if it was just a shooting regression or it was just a few, you know, a little bit more with turnovers or less assists or, or things of that nature, it would be a very different conversation than than the conversation that is that is surrounding him. And by the way, by the way, it, to a Knicks fan, like, okay, Randall's going to regress 30, uh, 30 points. So, well, or I guess three percentage points, but the way we talk about it, like 30 points in effective field goal percentage. Most Knicks fans would be like, oof, that's, that's not ideal, right? He was already only at 51.6% effective field goal percentage last year. That sounds like a pretty big dip. He's regressed 30 points from his effective field goal percentage in his first year as a Nick. When he was 49.2, he's at 46.3 right now. That is, I mean, that is an almost unfathomable drop. That's, I hear that's you. And again, I'm say. like I said, the numbers was just, it was more of an oversimplification. There's obviously more to it and there's greater context than just looking at the box scores here. I, I hear you. And I think that if Randall were just doing poorly, 
and were showing the level of effort that people wanted. Uh, and I think if there were also from Tibbs's perspective, if there were more uh, of a leash that were there to kind of pull Randall back, so someone waiting in the wings might get more of an opportunity than they have, I think people would be a bit calmer on the subject. But now it's a, it's a, you know, perfect storm of everything that is going towards Randall and it gets worse with each loss. And again, if the Knicks were losing and Randall were showing that effort and he just weren't shooting well, but he were, he was finding teammates and he still does that to an extent, of course. But if he were to do all those things and lose, it's a different story than what we're seeing right now, because even if the Knicks are winning, you know, like, yeah, the Knicks are winning. You, you can live with it. It's, it's fine, but you still can identify the problem. Um, but it then it's like, well, he's doing this and the team is doing that and they're losing and it just doesn't feel good. And that's why. Um, I don't think that there's anything else we need to talk about with you. I mean, there's so much we could, we could spend the whole episode talking about Julius Randle. I, I, I guess at this point, the, the thing that interests me most is. Do we see. uh do I mean I I've, I I'll ask the question although I already know the answer. Do we see any more accountability um, for the stuff that we we've all been seeing for for seemingly the whole season between now and the deadline? I don't. I think the answer is probably no. If he's still here after the deadline, which I think there's a very good chance that he is. What, what does the rest of the season look like? And I guess we could we could talk. You know, we don't have to talk about that right now because we're not there yet, but. That's kind of where my head is at because he is so dominant in every way. His presence, his aura, his, I mean, just him on the court, how much he handles the ball, all that stuff is there. Cause like my, my MO at this point is I, just, I, I want to enjoy watching basketball games again. I want to feel positive about this team. And so I don't care if the team isn't winning, but like I want to feel positive about that. What I'm watching is like sending them in a positive direction. And the stuff with Randall has gotten so bad where I don't know if we could feel that way with him on the court. So like, do they shut him down? Do they play Like I, that's what I'm wondering about Randall. That's the only thing I have left to wonder. Cause the whole thing, like can, can Randall come back and Randall be rescued? Can Randall get good? At, like I, that's, I, that's not even a consideration for me at this point. Well, we'll get to after the deadline, after uh, yeah. the deadline, but we will. in the meantime, yes, it's this dark cloud that's hovering over us as we watch it. And I think that, it feels to me like Randall's time here is rapidly coming to a close, which is something I certainly did not, you know, as I said, I will see it when I believe it, that Randall is dealt yeah. this year. And it's gotten to the point where I just feel like the bridge is kind of being burnt. And again, the thing is, it didn't bother me that he was booing fans, but you know what? It bothered a whole lot of people. And it's compounded each and every single game, even the games where he's doing fine. It's okay. Well, that's just a one-off thing. I don't see how he comes back from this unless he plays at the level that he played at last year, which is really hard for him to do. And even if he's close to that, what does that really mean? And I just, I will say something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way was, wasn't there a report about Fournier's comments kind of with the front office that, that wasn't received well, right. Where he was talking I, he, with how So uh, I, I wrote that this week and I, I have that on good authority that I don't know if it was the front office. All I was told was that for, and I don't even know if it was comments Fournier's 
response to the Kemba benching rubbed some in the organization the wrong way. And the reason why I feel I trust my source and I'm comfortable putting that out there. The reason why I feel extra comfortable saying that is because of Ian Bagley's reports since December saying um, some members of the organization were not happy with how that situation with the Kemba situation and how it was handled and feeling like there was, I don't think he used the word favoritism, but the, the, the implication was pretty clear. People thought that Kemba got the shit end of the stick and he didn't deserve it. So if that got out there to Ian Begley, then, you know, the people or the person or people within the organization who were not happy about it, were making their feelings known. Right. And I, the way I look at it is it's disappointing that the reaction to Fournier's comments seems to be a bigger deal than the idea of more accountability for Julius Randle. Okay. That's all. Okay. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need with customizable orders every week. You can add extra proteins and sides, change up the serving size when you have guests, or just double up on your favorite recipes so your box works harder for you. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences or skip a week whenever you need. Feeding the whole family has never been easier with larger box sizes for more servings and more savings. HelloFresh also offers convenient, contact-free delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. The recipes are easy to follow and quick to make, with steps and pictures to guide you along the way. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips, so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. HelloFresh is 30% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store. Plus, you skip the checkout lines. Try our quick and easy meals, which include 15 to 20 minute dinners, breakfast on the go, and 10 minute lunches in HelloFresh Market. Perfect for your busy schedule. Enjoy restaurant quality meals for less in the comfort of your own home. HelloFresh's gourmet recipes like balsamic fig sirloin are over 72% cheaper than an average restaurant meal. Look, guys, I don't have to tell you how busy I can be with all the work I do for Nick's Film School, as well as my show Final Review. 
My girlfriend is just as busy, and when that question comes up every night, what do you want for dinner, rarely do we both have answers. Well, we've actually been customers of HelloFresh for over a year, and we're thrilled when we found out about this sponsorship. Not only is the food delicious, but it's convenient to make and takes away that simple anxiety of what you're going to have for dinner that night. They send you a week's worth of meals, you cook them, you prepare them, you eat them, and then by the weekend, a new box for the following week shows up. It's that simple. Go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool16 and use promo code FilmSchool16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool16 and use promo code FilmSchool16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Let's hit on a few other topics that I know people want to hear about. And I... I Let's go to Cam first. So um, people are very upset that Cam Reddish has not played. Um, I will just say that it does not bother me, uh, particularly right now, because we are not yet at the trade deadline. Um, there are 26 games remaining after the trade deadline. Make sure I got that right. The 56th game is on the night of the trade deadline. So 80, so 27 games left after the trade deadline. So off by one. Um, the Knicks, like, again, as far as I'm concerned, the Knicks season is over. And I don't think Cam Reddish playing the like 20 to 25 minutes a night over the, since they have acquired him uh, in the, in the trade. I don't think that was going to make a difference in any of these games. Um my only concern is that the front office gets a good enough look at him to be able to make an informed decision in contract discussions this summer. Uh, 27 games is going to be enough to, to do that. If the trade deadline passes and we're now, and then we're several games in and he's still not playing, I'd be a little bit more peeved because like, if you're waiting till like the last 10, 15 games of the year to get that look and you're going up against teams that maybe there's some tankery going on there. And like, it's a little bit more loosey goosey and it's like, kind of the feel of preseason towards the end of a regular season, some depending on who you play. I don't know if I would trust that enough. That's where I'm at. Where are you at with this? Same position. I think okay. it's the sort of thing where let's evaluate it post deadline. Uh, listen, I mean, the week of the, ter- the trade deadline, there's going to be a back-to-back. I would imagine that Kemba Walker's not going to play in one of those games, which means they probably bump up Alec Burks to the starting point guard spot. And then Cam Reddish will get his chance. And then lo and behold, on that Thursday in Golden State, that's, you know, that will be after the trade deadline, which means that if there is a player who has moved, that would be the perfect opportunity to start playing Cam Reddish. Until then, would I like to see him? Sure, of course I would, especially if there are players who I don't think are going to be on this team uh, more than a couple weeks. But I also understand the intricacies of it. The unfortunate thing is that the Knicks paid, I don't want to say a premium per se, right? But the Knicks essentially said, let's get Cam Reddish now because we'd rather pay this than worry about a potential bidding war three weeks or so from now. And I think that was perfectly fine for them to do because the price could have kept going higher and higher. And they said, well, let's just go for it. It's unfortunate though because the Knicks aren't able to make the subsequent moves that clear the space for Cam Reddish. And so now you've got this awkward gap of time and it's like, well, what are they supposed to do? Well, they're supposed to play him. Well, of course they're supposed to play him, but if you also then bench a player, right. And then it's like, well, why are they benching him? If he's so good, they should be playing. And if you're Tom Thibodeau and you trust veterans and you're thinking, why should I defer to Cam Reddish over Alec Burks? 
over Kemba Walker, over any of these players who's been here, who's older, who's more established. I'm trying to win games. My goal is to develop and to win. I am not in the tanking business. And, and then if you're the front office, you're probably not saying to Tibbs, hey, don't play this player, right? I would imagine that that would be overstepping their bounds to an extent. It's Tibbs' job to shuffle what the front office gives him. And what the front office has given him is a lot to work with. And he's probably thinking, well, it'll be cleared up soon enough. But until then, I don't really care about Cam Reddish because I don't think he's going to help me win games as much. And that's something that we may feel this season might be cooked. And there are ways to get around that. If you're Tom Thibodeau, you're going to fight for every single game because you want to get into the playoffs. And I and I've defended him on that front. In, in uh, specifically because I believe when we talk about organizational culture and, and things of that nature, the the worst thing you could do is have a locker room of players who don't believe that the goal every day is to win games. Um, and I don't think for as long as Tom Thibodeau is coaching this team, he will ever coach a game that he does not intend to fully win. And like, put forth the best foot that he has to put forth. What I believe we are seeing now, and this is a good transition to the starting lineup discussion is basically Tibbs saying, this is the last shot that I am giving this starting five, or let me rephrase that. This is the last shot that I'm giving this season in terms of with this group, can we put something together to to convince ourselves, convince the front office, whatever you want to say, that we are we 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 have some business being in the postseason discussion? And I believe that he believes, in right up until right right this second, that the best way to do that is to stick with the starting five. Which, if you want to question that decision making, have at it. Um, I believe that is what he believes. Do I think he's crazy? I'm not going to say, do you think he's crazy? Sure. Yeah, no, there's definitely a level of craziness to Tom Thibodeau, 100%. Like, that man is definitely not not crazy. <laughs> he's not not <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, like I think he is once again in a tough spot because they tried the Kemba thing and now he's back into the fold. They're not going to have Evan Fournier come off the bench. Can I have Barry is staying in the starting lineup? Julius Randle is not being removed and Mitchell Robinson is better than the players ahead of him. And as much as I would love to see some sort of shuffling, like try to get Emmanuel quickly up instead of Kemba Walker, just try it. It's worth a shot. I understand why he is not going that angle. And then it's like, again, you are like, I am in the position where I'm just, I just want to get to February 10th so badly. I'm sure so many of us do, but that's the thing. It's, it sucks between now and then, and they should make some sort of change. And that's the one I would recommend. But other than that, the biggest change, the biggest way you turn this around is by turning around Julius Randall and Julius Randall turning himself around. The rest of the stuff, it matters, but it does not matter as much as Julius Randle becoming even a semblance of what he was last year. And until that happens, we could keep trying rotations and we're not going to, unfortunately. But that is like the thing of how you start to see the light switch. You get him going. He can be the best player on your team. It works. Other than that, 
it feels like he's weighing everything down. And, and that dark cloud feels like, Hey, if we got rid of him, is it maybe, is it addition by subtraction? Maybe it's not. Well, to say that's how it certainly feels in the moment of addition by subtraction. It does. It does feel that way because it, Again, I'm not saying that like it's weird because to say that you're like, okay, well, are Kemba and because Kemba and Fournier, in fairness, their their effort on defense, their attention to detail on both ends of the floor has been uh, putting it very kindly inconsistent this year. Do we think that the day Julius Randle gets traded, that those two players automatically will like flip a switch and they're going to be like, okay, now we're going to be the best? Like, no, that's not realistic. And yet, at the same time, it feels like there is an inherent chemistry thing that is off, which gets me back to the Tibbs part, which is that Tibbs is Tibbs is not stubborn in that he will not make changes. He will make changes. And if you look back over the course of his career, he has made a lot of changes. He has played young players. He has adjusted his play style. He has done all manner of things that dictate that, no, he is not a guy that is so steadfast in his ways that he is inflexible. But, and here's the big but, he needs hard basketball evidence to be able to make, to be able to justify those changes to himself. And right now he is looking at a team, same shitty team the world looking at where it is clear as day that something is off. There is something in the water. And whether you want to put it all on Randall or a little bit on Randall or somewhere in between, it is not like he could point to like one thing like, oh, when Kemba's on the floor, our defense falls off a cliff. But when, or sorry, when he, when he's, yeah, when he's on the floor, our defense falls off the cliff when he's not. Like the numbers don't justify that. Um, you can't be like, well, we have a guy who could give us a little bit more of this than Kemba or a little bit more of that than Kemba waiting on the bench and Manu quickly. Well, guess what? The numbers don't justify that either. What do you need in traditionally in a starting in a starting point guard? Someone who could run your offense. Kemba could run an offense. He could shoot. He could shoot off the dribble. Theoretically, he could shoot off the catch, although he doesn't seem to feel comfortable doing that. Same thing with Fournier. He's like a more skilled player across the board than anyone else they have to like. All of the logic parts of it are like, yes, this starting lineup should work. I am going to keep running it out there until it works because that is what the logic. And yet what we are seeing defies logic. And that's where we're left with. And there are people who are just like, look, man, it's not working. Anyone who could watch this team, Jeff Van Gundy, like it doesn't take a rocket scientist, right? Um, And that, that is where that is where I think his stubbornness is holding him back where he just needs to accept the fact that like, look, I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. It doesn't, it might not make sense on paper or in stats or in anything else or in play or in X's and O's. It's just not working. Um, And I think he needs to accept the fact that there, even if he can't figure out why it is what it is. It is what it is. (laughs) Famous doesn't last have to words. be, but it is what it is. No, it is what it is. Um, I don't know. Do we, anything else we need to talk about before we give out a game ball? Derek Rose said he's coming back after the All Star game. That's fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that gets you excited. Sure. I mean, again, I don't even know what this team looks like 
two weeks from now. So after the all-star break is uh, might as well be a year's worth away, but it'll be great to have him back in the fold. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. And then uh, we're not going to do any trade stuff or a lot of trade stuff today. Cause we're going to have a whole bunch of trade deadline stuff as it gets closer. But um, I'll say this, uh, I'll ask you this. Do you think there's going to be a trade before we record next week? I mean, I could say no. I could also tell you that there was no way that the Knicks were going to trade for Cam Reddish before the deadline. So who knows? But I think that based on the way the market is working out, I'll say no. And hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully we can talk about some sort of movement. But until then, there aren't a lot of teams that seem to try to strike early like the Knicks have done. They seem to be a bit more patient and building up their value. And if you're a team like the Knicks and you're holding out for a higher bid and you're already losing these games and your Tibbs already playing them, then what is the harm in waiting another week and a half? I don't see it. I, I you might as well stay the course unless someone blows you over with a, or bowls you over with a great pick or a great you know, return, whatever it might be. Um, February 3rd is this Thursday. They play two home games, Sacramento and Memphis. And February 3rd is the day that Julius Randle can be traded. And then there's three games before the deadline at the Lakers, at the Jazz, at the Nuggets. Um, I don't think it, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And I, I, but of the moves they could make, I think actually, oddly enough, the one that would shock me the least if it happened before Sunday was Randall moving. I do think that people need to realize that there is a real world where the Knicks do not trade Julius Randall. Oh, it's very real. And it's that sort of mindset where I'm sure fans will be holding out hope for them. Look, there are fans who are counting down the days until February 3rd. And I just, I think that while I say that I don't think that this can be resolved because I don't, I just don't see how this is salvaged. It doesn't mean that the Knicks are going to give him away to solve this problem. No, they will not give him away and they have a price in mind and they will not budge below that price. And they it doesn't matter what happens in the next week and a half. That's the thing, because then we're looking at what? 30 or so less than 30 games left from the end of the season, you know, from the the deadline till the end of the season. And we don't necessarily want to see Julius Randle in all those games. And guess what? If Julius is on the team, he's probably not going to play. I was about to say, we're not going to see him in most of those games. Like again, I've, I've talked about his contract situation where he gets a bonus. If the Knicks make the playoffs and he plays 65 games, if they're not making the playoffs, then the 65 game component of that bonus is moot. Because it's contingent on that on making the playoffs. Well, I, I would I, I'm not saying they a, shut him down the moment no, they're eliminated. It's yeah, just, and, well, no, I, I I was gonna say like I wonder when because I he if he's on the team after the deadline he's gonna get shut down without question. Uh, and, I it just may not wonder, be quite like the mellow All Star game shutdown, but it might yeah. be like you know, well let's you know, a few weeks or so, let's give it, let's try it. And then when it gets closer the, to the day of reckoning with when the season comes to an end, then they maybe start to consider it a little bit more. Not the, maybe not the day of, but yeah. Around the thing that's going to be very interesting to me is I feel like there's going to be a two to three week stretch 
or a two to three week period in between when they are because I even like look, we're all naysaying this team right now. What are they? A game out of tenth or a half a game out of? Th- I don't even know what it is. It, I, I, and quite frankly, I don't even care at this point. But like, we all think the season's over. The season's not over, right? Like they could, they could still go on a run. They could still put things together. Like miracles happen every day, right? Um, at some point, it will become very apparent that the season is over. And I think there will be a two to three week stretch between when that point is, is hap- has occurred and the point where they are officially eliminated. And I'm curious how soon they pull the trigger on some of these guys getting shut down. And again, I'm getting wildly ahead of myself. We have played 50 games. There are 32 games remaining. Um, but that's something, again, I'm already thinking about now. So, And if yeah. that's two to three weeks of when that is... In my mind, that clock has already started. And if you don't want to say it started, well, it could start right now. Because if you lose to the Kings, I mean, what what does that say? Oh, if they lose to the if they lose to the Kings at home, that's I mean, and and you know what? I've never rooted for this team to lose. I had never will root for this team. Even even the even the game everybody uh, uh refers back to, right? The KP draft. Yeah. Right? Where they okay? I don't. I'm not capable of sitting down and actively rooting against my team. I don't have it in me. That said, I'll sit here right now and acknowledge if losing this Kings Kings game might be the best thing that could ever happen to them. This Kings team, which mind you, nearly beat the Sixers. They were very competitive in that game. They were winning for a long time. They've they've also lost five in a row, and they've lost ten of their last twelve. Yeah. Are they playing tonight? I don't even know. They no, they not. played yesterday. Yeah. Um. Anyway, okay. I want to get some game balls out. Let's do it and push some pee. So this, th- no, sorry. This is who has been pushing pee this week. Um, which is to say, uh, someone that we are praising and highlighting for their analysis and performance. Um, I am going to. Oh, this is mine. This is me. Oh, is it you first? We we had talked about that. I would I would get the. Uh, oh the first yes. Here. Okay. Sorry. 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 So go first. Oh, well, thank you. Um, well, the, the game ball has to, of course, go to Tom Brady. I mean, the ability to make someone like our dear producer and so many others go from rejoicing to, wait, you mean there's a chance that it doesn't happen and give people nightmares for like even one more day? That takes guts. And he didn't even do anything. Like, that's just, you know, that's just crazy. So, uh, but if I'm not giving it to Tom Brady, because the look on Andrew's face makes me want to pick another person, even though I kind of don't at the same time. I just want him to go away. <laughs> it was so close. I was watching. What's Wait, the I he retired. So here's what happened, John. Adam Schefter and Jeff reported it, yeah. reported that Tom Brady is retiring after 22 seasons. And for the first time in the last 22 years, I felt like Andy Dufresne and I was able to climb and crawl through the mud and the shit. And finally, freedom was upon us that I didn't have to worry about losing to that man ever again. And then two hours later, multiple reports came from Tom Brady's camp that he's not made any decisions. I don't know where these things are coming from. There is speculation that because he's got this series on ESPN called, uh, what is it? Man in the arena. arena, So that he wants to announce it on the final episode, which is Uh, more like, it may also just be like a petty thing that if they ruined his final episode, because this is an ESPN product 
And so ESPN might have got the scoop. And so the ESPN reporters ran with it that he's petty enough to be like, you know what? Like, screw you. I'm going to go like play another season then and ruin your finale. And oh, that's wow. the big announcement, which means he might be back. Thankfully, the Jets don't play him this year. Thankfully, got I don't it. have to worry about that. But unless he goes to a team where. Oh, that's the, the craziest part. Goes back to yeah. New England for one more season yeah. that they're like not satisfied with with Mac Jones. That, that's go even from, better. You go, go from to, Andy Dufresne to Brooks. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> quite literally. It, yeah. Even better. He'll go to Miami or something and just be sure. like, oh, you know what? You don't believe in Tua. I, I like your weapons. I, I've always just moved my Florida address a little bit south. Anyway, that's the latest on Tom Ed, Thomas Brady, whatever his middle name is that Skip Bayless always says. I just want to stop. It's great. So, Jeremy, uh, if you were not going to give it to Tom Brady, who would you give it to? I would give it to Quentin Grimes. And the reason I will give it to Quentin Grimes is because Quentin Grimes seems to show more effort in his short career than some other players certainly have. Um, The ability to knock down shots, to just be a presence everywhere. He is so good in his role. And again, I think that the Knicks traded back for this man twice. They passed him twice and still netted assets and yep. did everything. And he he's done such a good job that I think he's actually forced the front office's hand a bit because I don't think they were quite ready for him to be this good. I'm sure they probably thought, hey, you know, he'll get minutes here and there in his first year and then he'll take a step up in his second year and maybe by year three, he could even be entering the starter conversation. And we are a little bit more than halfway through year one. And it's easy to see why he should see significant minutes in the rotation moving forward. And it'll be fascinating to see how the Knicks juggle that. But in the meantime, he's just been such a joy to watch in this unfun season that uh, this past week, his performance, giving him the game ball. He's pushing P. <laughs> I, just, I can't with this pushing P. Um, I know that's what your doctors. Couple. <laughs> Couple things. Uh, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back because of my preseason predictions. I wrote that uh, I thought a Nick rookie would play over a thousand minutes for the fourth year in a row. Um, and I think Quentin Grimes has to average like 17 minutes a game for the rest of the year and play in all the games to get that. Uh, newsflash, he's playing over 17 minutes a game. Um, it would, here's other than maybe RJ, it would not. Shock me. It would not shock me if Quentin Grimes played more minutes over the rest of the season than anybody else on the roster. I'm not surprised. Again, yeah. in our crossover episode with Locked on Knicks, I said he'd force himself into the rotation by February. And you, good job by you. Thank you. One um, of the, the few bold predictions of mine that panned out. So I'll run with it. We'll ignore the the litany of dead bold predictions that are around me. But there, there you go. Um, Andrew, can I? I have to ask for a rule clarification. There's no one else on this team that I want to shout out or reward right now. Can I, can I instead use my game ball to do an ad read? Yes. Go right ahead. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give my game ball then to hello fresh. Yeah. So I, I, here's the thing. So occasionally like people who advertise on the show, send us products to like test out and like talk about what, you know, whatever it's nice. And I'm not going to name people in the past who sent us stuff that like I don't use or I don't care about, or I think stinks. Um, I will say that HelloFresh, so they sent us a free box of stuff mm-hmm. and we've already used. So I guess I should just do the actual ad read and, and say, if you want to do what my wife did this week and get 16 uh, free boxes of HelloFresh, 
go to hello free meal 16 free, free meals, meals yes, yes. 16 free meals go to hellofresh.com slash film school 16 um, and then use the code film school 16 here's why it's a good idea this stuff is amazing yes. so we got what do we get we got chicken and pasta. We got a chicken and pasta. This chicken with like some kind of tomato relish that we made ourselves with some Italian seasoning, balsamic. It was unreal. Um, we had a taco thing with like beef tacos and like cheese and like a salsa that we made ourselves. Awesome. Um, and then I'm forgetting what was the third one this week? I, I think we 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 ate it early. I think I got what, a different box. so I'm not sure which you'd have to go ask Dolores. But at, Rosina and I have been customers of HelloFresh for way since way okay. before the sponsorship, we we endorse this endorsement you're making. So. Well, this is our first go round. And let me tell you again, it took all of two meals with this thing for my wife to be like, we're we're signing up. Um, so let's see. What do I have to read here? Oh, yes. Hello, fresh. You get farm fresh pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You do uh, skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun and affordable. It is easy. It is fun and it is affordable, especially, by the way, if you use that uh, special code, go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmSchool16 and use code FilmSchool16 for up to 16 free meals. And, oh, I forgot about this, and three free gifts. I Oh, I can't wait to get my gifts. I don't even yeah. know what my gifts are going to be. Seriously, you won't be disappointed. That is my uh, wholehearted endorsement into HelloFresh. Okay. Um, Two things. Yes. Number one, Andrew, is there any way we could get an ad break in between our game balls? So people are like, oh, cool. John's back. And then they're hit with another, hit another ad inside <laughs> of it. And then secondly, I feel like you've got Obi Toppin outside your window, just like looking forlorn as you yeah, praise like a good hello week. fresh. And he's like, <laughs> if, what do I have to do, John? If I didn't give it to, if I didn't give it to HelloFresh, Obi Toppin would have gotten the game ball. He has, he had a nice week. He obviously, uh, I think he led them in scoring, right? Two two games ago. Um, I'm very high on Obi Toppin. No, no, you're not allowed back on the Obi no, bandwagon. No, no, you pick chicken rules. tacos over Obi Toppin. There's rules. There's no going no. back. Yes, they were, I I say this on behalf of the Obi bandwagon. You're not allowed back on. You're not allowed back on. Sorry, they no. were they were they were they were beef tacos actually. Um, they're good. I'm sure the tacos Obi are amazing. cares about the protein that was there that that picked was picked over <laughs> I, him. I, <laughs> all right. So since I can, wait, do I can I go first on detention or do you go first again? I think this is a Jeremy first this, week. Listen, oh, I get okay, I get yeah. one week, one paltry week <laughs> where I get to go first for the entire season. So I'm going to take it. Um, fine, go for it. I mean, Andrew, let me ask you this: We know about Julius. We mm -hmm. know about Tibbs. Is it at this point redundant to actually for us to discuss either? Because they're the top two candidates. I did. I, I have not erased Julius or Tom Thibodeau's name from detention on the rundown in the last like month and a half. Yes, they are the lead candidates for the, this okay. category. Fair enough. Then in that case, uh, I mean, could say either of them. Um, I think I'm going to go with Alec Burks just to switch things up. Um Burks has been like the ability to be so good from behind the arc and so bad inside of it and around the rim is confounding. Uh, I didn't really think that Burks was going to generate a protected first round pick. And this is kind of feeling like it slams the door on that, which whatever. Uh, part of me does feel for Alec Burks because he's in this no win position, right? Like he's either starting at point guard 
and he's just not, it's not the job he should be doing, or he's coming off the bench in a role that everyone wants Cam Reddish to play instead of him. And I do feel for him, but you also have to perform in the role that you are given. And uh, he just hasn't really been able to do that. And as a result, I, my non-Julius and non-Tibbs pick will have to be Alec Burks. Um, Burks has been bad. Um, I don't, I don't really know how else to say it. He's, he's been bad. Uh, and again, this is a guy that up until probably a week or two ago, if you asked me who, who was the best Nick of the season, I probably would have said Burks. I, I you can't say that anymore. He's been, um, it, it's been a rough watch. Uh, I'm just, I'm looking up, um, two point field goal percentage of everybody in the league this year who has played at least 25 games. So out of 347 players, um, how many do you think are worse than Burks? Two-point field goal percentage for the year. I'm going to say three. Uh, no, five. So he is ranked. He is 340 uh, first. No, second in that category. So because, yeah, three, four, five, six. Seven. Yeah, he's 342nd. You want to take a guess at any of the players that are after him? You're not going to guess any of these. Probably not. Uh, is Jalen Suggs one of them? No, he's not. That's he's, a good I guess. I would have guessed yeah. that. Um, Russ is not. What? Russ? No, 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 no. You know who's one spot ahead of him? Ricky Rubio. Huh. Crazy. No, the players that are below him. And by the way, he, uh, amongst players, again, who are who have played at least uh, 25 games, He's last amongst players who are taking at least four two-point field goals a game. The players below him, Peyton Pritchard, uh, shooting just under two two-point field goals a game. Uh, Thomas Tomas Satoransky, little over two two-point field goals a game. And then um, Javon Carter, not even taking a two-point field goal per game. Kent Bazemore, less than two two-point field goals per game. And then bringing up the rear, the guy who... Uh, Wait, is this the? I'm pretty sure this is the guy that I'm thinking of. Um, the guy that the everybody, you know, the Knicks uh, wanted to draft very much. Uh, Trey Murphy the third, the worst two point shooter in basketball, who has played at least played. 25 games. Because, yeah, he's and Sadoransky's been injured and in COVID for a bit, and he's been on the shelf. But the point is, I mean, Burks is supposed to be head and shoulders above these players, and in that. Category, he just isn't. I think last I checked a week or so ago, he was shooting like 30, less than 35% on drives, which is it's, it's, like it's not among great. the worst of the league. Uh, yes, yes, that is uh, accurate. Um, okay, uh, my detention. Um, so since I couldn't praise Obi or I, I chose not to praise Obi for the, for the game ball, I will give my detention to Julius Randall yet again. Uh, I'm sure this is not the first time I've given my detention to Julius Randall. It will not be the last time. Um, what can I say? It's a new low. Somehow it's a new low. I don't know how he went lower than he did, but he is, I mean, he is, he has turned this next season into a game of limbo because we just keep asking ourselves, how low can you go, Julius? Um, and I, I, I don't know the answer at this point. And, and to me, the reason that this was a new low for him um, wasn't even because any of the on-court stuff, because I actually thought he had a couple of nice moments this week 
or moments this week where it looked like he tried hard. Um, it was, it was two things. One, uh, and I forget who had the clip, but shout out to whoever had the clip uh, first on Twitter of Mitchell Robinson falling down on the ground and Julius, or excuse me, Obi, it will be Obi top uh, falling on the ground and, and Julius turning and walking in the other direction instead of helping up his teammate. Uh, that was impressive. It wasn't the most egregious thing I thought he did this week. The most egregious thing I thought he did this week was were the comments he gave at practice the other day in which he used the term infectious. I wait, hold on. I, I, I want to, uh, I want to make sure I get it right. Andrew, you may have to edit this out because I can't, I have to, I want to make sure I find, Oh wait, no, it's on my phone. You should keep this in. This shows how technology. Oh, now I'm leaving it in. Yes. Yeah. There you go. No infection. Nice, uh, pajama pants. Thank you. Infectious leader. In talking about what he needs, what he can do, and what coming in, working every day, trying to be an infectious leader with my spirit and my energy, and just try to be positive. You know the who fact- else said the same thing? <laughs> oh my! God. The flu in Station Eleven. Ah, oh, I'm on. I'm on the finale, Jeremy. I haven't given anything away. I haven't watched the show at all. The infectious part is all that. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going. uh, I thought you were going Lee Harvey Oswald there. I was not because I mean (laughs) biological warfare, whatever it is, is a little different. But uh, it is warfare. It's an act of war. One might say. One might. Um, Yeah, I mean, again, if that's infectious leadership, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I was I was floored when I read those comments. Well, it's also could, just like, how can you say this and then show us what is on well, the court? No, it's a, because it's a, it's it's a, it's to me. That's worse than the than the thumbs down and the booing. Yeah. And, and the if you if you read if you read lips, him telling the fans to shut the fuck up. That's him telling all of us that that's all telling him telling all of us to go fuck ourselves and that you guys are a bunch of morons. That's what that was to me. Those comments. Yeah. And, you know, it's, we go back to it, right? Because I see these clips online as well. And part of me is thinking like, all right, people, come on, we're nitpicking. This is ridiculous. We, we can't just analyze every single thing. Things could be out of control, out of, out of context rather. And then I just see what they are. And it's like, on the other hand, yeah, like you got to help your teammates up. You can't look so solemn uh, for for these moments while they're in the huddle and you're just like doing your own thing, saying hi to your family. I I hate the fact that we have gotten to this point where we have to psychoanalyze every moment where we're talking about like, but, but, but even still, like, I don't like think, I don't like dissecting the mind of someone where I'm not in their head. I'm not around them. I don't know what's going on in their lives. And it's left us at this point where we're grasping for so many answers that we're just throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And a lot of it is sticking. That's the thing. And like it adds to it, but it's all believable because we can see it with our eyes. And that's why it's so frustrating because he then says these comments and it's like, this doesn't help your case. What helps your case is by demonstrating everything that you can do. It's like an actor, an actor goes on stage. And from the moment that the audience sees them, they are in character, right? They don't break. And with Julius, it's like, he ignores that and he shifts out of that. And, and everything that he does is like Julius himself and not Julius, the competitor. And I, I, that's the thing, right? Where we see before the game and after the game with RJ Barrett, he's constantly laughing with guys that are on the other team, hanging out. I have zero issue with that whatsoever. There's no yeah. reason for me to, 
right? When the game starts, that's when you lock in. When the game ends, that's when you can take a break. I'm all for like letting loose hundred percent. But then with Julius, it just, it just feels like his mind is elsewhere. And then it goes with, well, why is his mind elsewhere? We don't have that answer, but what we need, we don't necessarily need the answer. We just need a solution. Well, that, and he's not giving us one. And that's but, what's so frustrating. So that's the selfishness. He views going over and above trying to make passes, right? That lead to turnovers. He views that as the way of being unselfish. No, 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 no. Being unselfish is, is knowing you're going through some, some stuff and putting it to the side and saying, for right now, I can't worry about the fact that I'm falling apart at the seams or coming apart at the seams. I need to be here for my teammates in a very particular way. And I know I'm not making shots and I know I don't have the, 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 the maybe as, the, as good a passing eye as I did. And I know the adjustments have been tough, but if the best thing I could do right now is just be the best teammate in, in any way that I can, you know, and maybe play my butt off on defense to make up for the fact of what I'm not doing on offense, then that's what I need to do. And I guess that's asking too much. Well, it's, um, it's accountability and then it's also vulnerability. You know, I, I know that some might think like, oh, well, no, he's a, vulnerable, a great, that he's not. It's a great call. If Randall shows, listen, I, I'm not being the person I should be. And I know there's work for me to do. He, it doesn't feel like it comes across with a sense of humility. It comes across as a sense of kind of entitlement where he's not speaking to the media. And again, if... <laughs> I don't want to say I don't care because I do. And it's like, well, why is it that I should care about that, but not the front office speaking? And I don't really care about the front office speaking because I feel, and I think we talked about this, that the moves are just very different. It's, it's a different world where Julius yeah. Randle is, plays every game and the front office has more broad views. And sure, it'd be nice to hear from every now and then, but uh, Julius doesn't speak. The Knicks get fined for it. And it's like, well, you could say that the Knicks are providing cover. But the one thing that this front office has done so well is they have tried to eliminate off the court distractions to the best of their abilities. The I would say the most I don't even, I don't even want to say it's egregious, right? Because it wasn't. But the biggest kind of like problem it seemed was Austin Rivers being like, "I'm out of the rotation. I don't have yeah. a role here." And the Knicks found a place for him. Even yep. all the Alfred Payton conversations that we had, yeah. the Knicks were basically just saying, "Well, look, we like there just aren't a lot of guys better." compared to Alfred Payton that we feel that, or that yeah. Tibbs feels is confident with. That's why we're going to go get Derek Rose. And, and we saw some more involvement with him. The distractions have been easily eaten away with Randall. They haven't. And so that's no. why I go back where it's like, yeah, there probably is a world where Randall's here and it's past the deadline. But then I flip, I think on the flip side where it's like, so the Knicks can then deal with this for another, how many months? Where they can think about, you know, what the deal with Randall is, what's his future, what are the Knicks going to get from him in the offseason? It's like, if the right offer is there, you take it. If it's not, is it worth the headaches that could come of it? I think it probably is. Um, set your set your price point. Don't dip too much, but you have to figure out what the opportunity cost is of him staying here. And it's just, it. I, I know I'm not saying anything we don't know. No, it's just, it's, no, it's worth, it's worth saying. Um, no, it really, it really, and, and you know what, this little speech that you just went on or little speech you just made, that's, this is the best evidence to what I was trying to say at the top of the show, you know, yeah. um, it is at a crisis point. 
Which leads us to predictions where I will give somebody was like, I'm still waiting for John to give Jeremy's flowers on the episode. I'm giving you flowers right now. Here are your flowers. Congratulations. You did a good job. You you made the pick that you knew was going to put me in a tough spot. I didn't want to go in three. You won. Um, so you are now eight and six. I am six and eight. You picked first this week. Three more games. Uh, we got the Kings on. Uh, we got the Kings tonight um, at 730. And then after that, um, is this really only a three-game week? Wow. It is. And there's a game on Monday. That's incredible. Um, I just didn't realize that until just now. Our playback game is going to be on ESPN uh, this week. It's uh, Grizzlies. Both of those games are at home, by the way. Uh, did I say that's Wednesday? Yeah, that's Wednesday. And then uh, two games off or two days off. And then Saturday, uh, beginning a five-game West Coast road trip uh, with a visit to the Lakers. And that is an ABC uh, Saturday night game. Uh, Jeremy, take it away. I will be going back to what I did before with one and two. There you go. Um, I'm very curious where you go with this. The, I mean, the fact that I'm pausing mm-hmm. tells you. See, now I feel differently. That I, so last week I was like, well, I think they're going to win game, one game. So then can they steal another one? Now I'm sitting here being like, well, I have no confidence they're going to beat the Grizzlies. Honestly, I have no confidence they're going to beat the Lakers. Do they lose the Kings game? And I think there is no chance. Zero chance that they beat the Grizzlies. So I'm basically, if I go two and one, it's basically that I think they're going to, they're going to beat the Kings and that they can beat the Lakers on the road in LA with. No, I fuck it. Uh, This team hasn't earned anything better than 0 and 3, 0 and 3. All right. And so it shall be. So it shall be. Andrew, finish us up. Finish this up. Okay. Um, Retired numbers is the theme of today's producer's corner. Um, Friday night, the New York Raiders retired longtime goaltender Henrik Lundqvist's number. They raised his number 30 to the rafters. That's right. A number 30 was celebrated at Madison Square Garden on Friday night. What do you know? Um, And about a year ago, almost exactly to the time that I quizzed you guys on what the Knicks retired numbers are figured. Let's do it again and see if you guys remember that little quiz. The Knicks have (laughs) retired. The Knicks have retired. Uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine different retired numbers. So can you name them? All right, who goes first, first? Jeremy goes first. Uh, Patrick Ewing. Correct. Does number he have to say the number? I, I'll say it. Number 33. The obvious one, number 33. So, All right. Walt Frazier, 10. There you go. That's two. So we are... I didn't think we were having. You do have to say the number. Yes, you do have to say the number. So you know what the retired number is. All right. Well, Willis Reed. Willis Reed. 15. 15. Uh, He's 19. No, Willis Reed is not 15. That's right. Willis Reed's 19. Yeah, Willis Reed's 19. Oh, I'm thinking. Oh, crap. All right. But you got Willis Reed, but you only get half a point. I I was thinking of the number. John gets your other half point. Yes. I'll do uh, one of the number 15s, Earl Monroe. Correct. The number part is what trips me up. So I'm going to lose points on that, but that's okay. But you can name all the presidents. So there's that. Exactly. Yeah. You name all the you're a Ewing patron. Yeah. Y'all know what that means in a second uh, later yeah. today. Um, Dave DeBuscher. 
whose 15? number is no, no, I can't remember that one. Dave DeBusher is number twenty-two. Mm, yeah. Um, Dick Barnett number fifteen. Dick Barnett is not number fifteen. He is number twelve. Who's okay? Okay. So There's I get a half another, point, right? Yeah, you get a half point. Okay. Jeremy, the number is where I'm stuck, but. There's a number higher than 33, by the Red way. Red Holtzman. Okay. Uh, and his number? That's the thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know this. 574. 613. Okay. Ooh, I was going to say 637. Uh, okay. Is it my turn? Yes. There's two more. Uh, is, um, yeah, again, I'm not going to remember Bill Bradley's number. Uh, Are you saying Bill Bradley? I'll say Bill Bradley. I, I don't know. And then his number? number? I don't remember his number. So I know Thank, it's not the other fifteen. Key for Sutherland. Oh, twenty-four. Come yeah. on, you gave I mean, him a I'm hint. not. I'm not giving him, him credit for it, but I'll give him that. <laughs> That's fine. I don't. I won't take them. All right. Okay, the last one, Jeremy. Uh, it's. I know that it's a player that we forgot about the last time that I'm forgetting about this time. Mm-hmm. I'll get it. Take it, Dick McGuire. He's the other fifteen. Dick McGuire is the other number fifteen. Correct. A little trivia about retired numbers, by the way. Do you guys know the two NBA franchises that have not retired a number? Hornets? Have the Grizzlies yet? The Grizzlies hired Zach Randolph's number this year. Um, one of them. The Hornets uh, have retired Bobby Curry. Phil's number. They never they retired Curry. Never retired Doug Curry. No. Oh wow. Probably should fix that. But like the Hornets are weird in that they went from Charlotte the, to the Pelicans and then back to Charlotte. Did the Raptors so. retire Vince? The Raptors are one of the teams have not retired. Enough. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Um, the other one the, I was stunned by actually because they're like been around for a while. Is it the Clippers? The Clippers have never retired a number. Well, does Blake's jersey retirement ceremony when they <laughs> that would fake- eliminate it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, when they fake because of his reti- that he would be the first person to get his number retired. That's funny. Who the um, who the Magic retire? So here's the funny thing about the Magic: they retired the number sixth for the number for the sixth man. What is it? That doesn't count. That's- yes. I'm just saying that's the only in the list of like never had a retirement ceremony. It's just those two teams. The magic. I think the magic the should be also man. be okay. Should also be listed here. The Pelicans retired Pete Maravich's number, even yeah. though he's never pay, played for the team, but for his contributions played to basketball, as, as, as they should. Yeah. Um, the Timberwolves retired Flip Saunders, the longtime head coach, and oh, then Malik good. Malik Seely is the only other one who tragically passed away in a car accident, and then they retired his number immediately after. And then for who? Malik Seeley. Malik Seeley, when he played for the Timberwolves. Oh, because he wasn't with them for very long, I don't think. Right, because he died in a car Got accident. It. So, yeah. um, And then the last one that I wanted to bring up was the Thunder, who have retired one name. Do you know who it is? Gary Payton? No. No. Nick Collison. Uh, Nick Collison. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Thunder. He was with them his whole yep. career. Now, I will say the funny thing about the Thunder is that, like, Give that like do they retire Durant uh, and then uh Westbrook and then Harden? Like they do have three great players that played for their franchise that are in the NBA now. So maybe they're waiting for people to retire. I will retire think, Harden. I think I they'll retire Harden also. They'll Russ retire is Russ, absolutely Russ, getting retired. And then Russ Kevin Durant first. won an MVP for them. There'll have to be some healing in order to him to get honored in Oklahoma City ever. So I yeah, I don't know about that. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, and then the um, other thing I, I wanted to, if we have, we have like five minutes if you want to do this real quick, but the other big thing that happened non-Knicks related uh, is that David Ortiz was elected into the Hall of Fame. And mm-hmm. while I don't want to turn this into a yeah. like baseball Hall of Fame conversation, because we don't have 45 minutes to eight years, um, I heard Simmons talking to one of his Red Sox friends that Ortiz is like on the baseball. He's the Red Sox representative for the Boston Mount Rushmore of like best player for each team. So the Wait, New what? York. So like if you went with the four best players for each team in that city, he alleges that I guess Bobby Orr would be. The Wait, but hold on. But, but Ted Williams played for the Red Sox, right? He's saying Ortiz mattered, but won three championships for the Red Sox. So he's saying Ortiz is, is a head. Did he really say that? Yes. Well, listen, I actually don't think it's that crazy a take. I understand it because Ted, Ted Williams, Williams. Is, but yeah, Ted Williams' Ortiz. head is elsewhere. So you can't put it on Mount Rushmore because it's frozen. That's good. In a, in That's good. That's good. I think a, and this is like to speak to Boston and its troubled history, like the curse of the Bambino being one thing, like the reason the Red Sox were so unsuccessful was so long was because of the very racist views okay. of their owner. And to have a, a person of color be at the forefront of eliminating the drought of them winning a championship and then flipping the Yankee Red Sox rivalry. Over I mean, the last if 20 years, if that's the reason for it, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. I, but Ted, I mean, it's, it, it's Ted Williams. Um, okay. So what's the question? New York, Mount Rushmore. I'm thinking the New York route Rushmore is like the, the next one is who? Is it Ewing? Is it Fraser? Is it Reed? well? Is is the representative necessarily the greatest Nick of all time, or is it like? Are we doing sports in New York? Because there are four, obviously more than four teams in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wouldn't be a. It's not a four. It's just every. I wanted to do the exercise with you guys. I was texting and like I have a group chat where we were like, so who's the one person you would nominate for each team to go on a Mount Rushmore? Well, if we're doing all eight teams. I mean. I don't. Know. I mean, the only obvious answers to me are, are well, Babe Ruth's an obvious answer, and and Lawrence Taylor's an obvious answer. That's funny you said LT because I said LT, and then every Giant fan was like, "No, it's Eli." And it's like, well, all right, you you were born the same year as me, then. Okay, I, mean, I get it. People people eat paint chips too. Um, I, I, well, I as Jeremy, a Giants is it fan, LT or yeah? Here's the thing. answer for this. It's also like, and this is where baseball gets tricky. There is the morality clause. Or the the you know their character clause. Mm-hmm. Do you put that in Mount Rushmore? Do you say like it's strictly on the court, on the field performance? If that's the case, then even before I'm born, I can recognize that LT is maybe the greatest uh, you know football defensive player of all time, and certainly with the Giants. So in that retrospect, you could certainly put him on Mount Rushmore. I, but for the Knicks, I think it's more the Clyde Frazier route because of the fact that sure it's the championships. But it's also that from when he played for the Knicks, when he first began until now, there's there is more time where he has been with the Knicks organization than not. And that kind of feels timeless to several generations. But then again, I'd say Babe Ruth belongs on that list. And Babe Ruth died in 1948. So or 49. So how, you know, I didn't live to see him, but Babe Ruth said. Arguably the greatest baseball player ever. So that's you have to, again, there's no, there's no discussion. Baseball there. became a marketable sport nationwide because there was a guy I, out homering teams. I, Frazier feels like the right answer here. Okay. Uh, again, it's such an amorphous 
discussion. I don't even know, but and I, I feel I I will say this: I don't feel strongly about who are the, who are the other teams? Are we talking about the Jets? The Mets? Well, the Mets, Jets are receiver. Mets are Mets, Mets are Mets easy. receiver. Mets receiver. That's easy. Jets are Namath. That's easy too. It actually, to, probably has to be Namath at this. Has point. to be Namath. Yeah. Okay, so those are those are probably easier than LT. I'll say that. Rangers, I Rangers Islanders. I mean, I the funny thing about the Rangers is there's this long stretch of them not winning, and then they won in the Cup in '94 with a hired gun in Messier. So, I Lundquist might actually be. I, I was about the, to say, <laughs> but, maybe but hired gun. Babe Ruth is technically a hired gun. That's not, yeah, but no, but he, well, is. Guy, he didn't start in New York, so he also never had an at bat in a Red Sox uniform. He was a pitcher. Then he went to the Yankees, hit more home runs than anybody ever, and won seven championships. Like. Sure. I feel why, like the 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 Ruth argument sta- I, uh, stands rather than this stretch of championships that um yeah. that Messier won stretch of cups that Messier won next to Gretzky. And Lunk Lunk uh, uh, Lunk was going to make the Hall of Fame, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so the, I, I, did he did hit for the Met? He the, did hit for the Red, for the Sox. Red Sox. I yeah, just know did. that he ever did he hit a home run for the Red Sox? Yes. Um, well, back then he yeah. didn't have a designated hitter. That's what I'm. That's what I mean is that he was not a, he was a part-time player, part-time. Yes. He was a full-time pitcher with the Red Sox. He was, but he hit 49 home runs from 1915 through 1919. And then hit 650, 680 something with the. Yes. Um, Yes. What teams am I forgetting? We just left with Buffalo. It's Brooklyn and the Islanders. We're not counting Buffalo as part of this exercise. Buffalo is more of a New York team than Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn. I don't even know how to answer that question. I would say Dr. Dr. J, I guess. Yeah. Dr. Uh, J or Jason Kidd. Dr. J. And yeah. uh, I, I know nothing about Islanders. I know a little bit I, about Islanders history. I, I would say Dennis Potvin would be the answer. That's the, Only, yeah, the Potvin sucks chant is there for a reason. Yeah. Uh, Brian Trottier is an answer, but I, I, this is where I'd have to go talk to an Islander fan. I think if they, the, 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 the Potvin, the, the Potvin sucks chant adds to the legend and, not for nothing, like four cups is four cups. So yep. in a row. In a row. Yeah. Yeah. They won they won 19 straight postseason series in five they years. They don't make dynasties like they used to. No. Um, yeah, this was good. That was yeah. good. Like that. Okay. DeGrom, DeGrom will find his way on that Mount Rushmore in no time, by the way. Perhaps. Maybe, Maybe won, uh what, one what's championship. The, what's massive. the Jets quarterback's name? Zach Wilson. Now the only Uh, August 3rd quarterback birthday I want to acknowledge going forward. There you go. Maybe he'll get there as well. Um, Okay. Uh, This was fun, Andrew. John. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Cohen. Jonathan Macri. (laughs) Oh, before we go, we're at at hour 22, so we have like one minute to do this, but um, I want to give you a chance, John, to amend. I feel bad that we gave you a shout out on final review for Richard. Oh, Lester, and you were like, why did I get deserved this? Because you said before midnight, it's like where you are in life. And I was like, it is you wanna, really where you want to tell us, John. And that was the joke. So so it's funny story. Um, my wife and I were listening to the podcast at the same time and heard that. And at the same time, we were like, it was uh, the only thing I. <laughs> Could compare it to mm-hmm. is um to talk about a deep cut. Do you ever see In and Out? No, I haven't. Jeremy, Mm-mm. no, I'm not gonna make that reference then. Um, well, I'm just I'm trying to think of like oh Seinfeld. You guys are Seinfeld fans, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, so remember the 
Not there's anything wrong with that episode, right? Yes. Okay. When, Jer- when Jeremy's like, I've been outed. I was never even in. That's yeah. what I felt like today. That's what you felt like. Okay. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, no, I, and if, again, if you listen to my comment about before midnight, yes, it is the stage in my life that I'm at because we have two kids and we're married and I'm almost 40 and my wife is almost 40 and we are not at the stage of like initially falling in love. And we're not even at the stage of like, right before we get married, we're at the next stage of life. You are at the first 80 minutes of before midnight. Well, no, not, I not actually would disagree with that. Okay, no, be, because, because I, I mean, I don't know how else to say this. My wife is the most important person in the world to me. If I didn't have her, I would be the most miserable human being on the face of the earth. If I had, I, I, no offense to either of you or any of my other friends or family listening to this, but if I had a choice between like, you're only allowed to talk to your wife for the rest of my life, or you could talk to everybody else, including people you've never met yet, it would not even be close. Um, so yeah, I like don't consider myself in the first 80 minutes because those two, they seem like, I know you're more positive about the first 80 minutes of before midnight. For me, I watch that and I'm like, oh, these are people with some issues. I think until literally the sunset, the, the literally before sunset, um, they they are two people that are just comfortable saying whatever they want to each other. And then a, a fight breaks out. But again, I'm the romantic as we established. On yeah, but like. Also, <laughs> where does Tibbs rank on that list? He's in with the rest of the group. And every time you said my better half about me, you were just lying. Yeah. Wow. Clearly. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, because my wife is not my better half. My wife is my whole. She she is oh. there, there is no me without her. Um, but no, I I uh I will say this. It it is good to be able to say anything and say and speak freely. Um when speaking freely leads to dissension, as is often the case with married couples, that is usually a sign that perhaps things are things are not great. Um, I could count the amount of fights that I've had with my wife in seven. Or sorry, been together. Shit, my, we've been together for nine years. I could count the amount of wife, fights I've had with my wife in nine years on one hand, and I need, I have fingers left over. Hmm. So you have like thirty fingers, and I'm kidding. <laughs> How many fights have you had with Tibbs? <laughs> probably more than more than more than that. That's I've good. That's a sign wife. of a healthy relationship. I've had more disagreements with Tibbs than I've had with my wife. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Anyway. That was good. Okay. So thank you for giving me that chance. You're welcome. Um, I, I had forgotten about that, even though it was on my mind all night. All right. Uh on that note, uh, thank you. Andrew, Jeremy, and to all of our listeners to the show. Um, don't forget if you enjoy the program, uh Give us a uh, shout uh, wherever you get your podcast. Leave a review. Give a five-star rating. And, uh, of course, subscribe if you're not subscribed. Uh, we will be back with uh, our usual array of fun and games this week, post games um, on YouTube. So check those out. And, uh, of course, we have some some wonderful guests, as always. Um, and then, uh, yeah, uh, shout out uh, to our episode that we will be doing for the trade deadline. A week and a half away? Yes, a week and a half away. Should be fine. Uh, well, okay. For the trade deadline, yes, a week and a half away. But a very like two-part episode next Monday yes. night. Yes. Next yeah, Sunday night into Monday Lots night. of trade content coming your way. So, uh, all right. Be, be on the lookout for that, and we will talk to you later. Peace out.
I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.